Coming up on The Mark Divine Show. The indigenous people don't think about things seven years from now like VCs do. They really think about things seven generations from now. Part of it is a longer horizon for how we perceive existence and reality. How do we inform the creators and builders and entrepreneurs and innovators of tomorrow, the artists of tomorrow, potentially with this recognition or this understanding that plant medicines bring? Welcome to the Mark Devine Show. This is your host, Mark Devine. Thanks for being here today. Super stoked to have you here. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it very much. On this show, I explore what it means to be fearless by speaking to some of the world's most interesting and compassionate and resilient leaders, folks from all walks of life, scientists and academics and authors and stoic philosophers and psychedelic experts like my guest today, Paul Austin. One of the more prominent voices in the world of psychedelics, especially microdosing. He's the founder of a company called The Third Wave. He's educated millions of folks through that platform on the importance of safe and effective psychedelic experiences. He's the pioneer at the intersection of microdosing, personal transformation, and professional success. He's been featured in Forbes, Rolling Stone, and BBC's Work Life. Before I get into the show, I wanted you to know that I'm opening up slots for our Unbeatable Coach Certification and our Unbeatable Team for 2024. The Unbeatable Team is an amazing year of transformational training. It's where I direct my full attention and time in coaching and training. I don't do it anywhere else. It's here in the Unbeatable Team that I can give my full attention to help those deeply committed to transforming to become uncommon in a world that you know is rapidly collapsing into fear, moral relativism, and mediocrity. We meet virtually every month as a team, come together four times during the year for three days of powerful in-person training and practice, and I'm here to help you break through any barriers and to crush all of your goals for 2024. So if you're ready to go deep with me and willing to do the work, I can guarantee amazing strides will be made. Go to unbeatableteam.com and unbeatablecoaching.com to learn more about these unbeatable events. Now, back to the show. Super stoked to have you here, Paul, on the Mark Divine Show. I appreciate being here. You know, I was reading through your website earlier today, and I am just impressed and inspired by what you've created and built and how you've served and helped. So, I, yeah, it's an honor to be on the show. Thank you. I appreciate that. One day, one brick at a time. <laughs> That's right. So you're over in Portugal. I was mentioning, you know, before we started that Sandy and I had tickets to go over there, and then COVID came, and everything just kind of fell apart. And so we've been kind of like rolling those things forward. We've got to use them by March of this year. So we're like, do we go back to Portugal or do we go somewhere else? But I hear that's a cool place. I first lived in Portugal in 2016. So I grew up in West Michigan, Grand Rapids area. Left when I was 21, lived abroad for about five, six years, Turkey, Thailand, and also Portugal. And so to come back, a lot of my friends are here and the food's great. And you know, Portugal is an interesting country, which will be relevant to the topic today. They had a heroin crisis in 1999, and in response, they decriminalized all substances. And instead of if you get caught with mushrooms or you get caught with cannabis, they just say, go see a counselor <laughs> and talk with them, and we're not going to throw you in jail. And so it's also, it's a, it's a forward-thinking place. You know, it's a really inspiring place to be. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that response in the United States. I mean, although I agree with it, right? That... <laughs> Whatever you bring energy to, it's going to grow. So, you know, the war on drugs has only made drugs worse. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. You're pretty young. I mean, like, you look like you're about 26, but maybe you're on <laughs> 30 or so, 32? 33. I was 1990. So at the age of 
19, I started working with psychedelics and I had my first like moderate LSD experience. And working with, right? You mean like in a therapeutic sense or experimenting with or both? Well, a bit of both. <laughs> uh, in the woods with a few friends, you okay. know, like, and Michigan is beautiful woods. It's right on Lake Michigan. There's sand dunes. Oh, yeah. So just a lot of like early nature experiences, but also quite deep and profound. And, you know, one of the things I landed on at a young age was like, I don't want to have anyone as a boss. I'd like to be an entrepreneur. You know, I'd like to travel. I've traveled to 80 plus countries. And then in about 2015, I was living in Budapest and a couple of friends came to visit. And we were talking about the future of psychedelics and, you know, like there's more research coming out. Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan are talking about it. Like mm -hmm. there could be something here. So in 2015, eight years ago, I was 24 at the time. I started this public platform on psychedelics and started teaching and educating people a lot about microdosing in particular. And I just sort of, you know, it was like one path to the next where I just have had a ton of fun doing this work. And I think I was lucky that I kind of figured out what I wanted to do and create at a very young age. And so that, that longevity is helpful. Yeah, you are lucky for that. It's, I mean, I work with a lot of people who are yeah. still trying to figure out who they want to be when they grow up and they're in their 50s. And it's, so it's a real blessing if you can find it young. I met Paul Stamish uh, a few years ago at an event he was presenting. Did you ever meet him? And I guess the kind of the corollary is, who did you learn from? Who were your mentors? There's a lot of research that's been going on in psychedelics for many, many years. So I don't imagine you just like figured it out all on your own. <laughs> So Jim Fadiman, he's a Jim is an OG. He uh, first did psilocybin with Richard Alpert in 1962 in Paris. Richard Alpert was like a friend and advisor who you know later became Ram Dass. Jim's research was fascinating. He, he in 1966 he took 27 project managers, engineers, you know early kind of Silicon Valley people. This is in Palo Alto, Menlo Park, and he did an experiment where he said, "Come in with a problem you've been stuck on for three months." And I'm going to give you 100 micrograms of LSD, the equivalent of about 100 micrograms of LSD. Which is not much, right? It's enough to be altered. It's not, so, it's not, an, it's not like a deep therapeutic dose. It's a microdose. No, a microdose is 10. Okay. Uh, so 100 is like, you're having some visuals. You're definitely like noticing changes in auditory, but you're not going super deep. Right. But... That's the best creative dose because you're like in between. You can, you can sort of be in both worlds and 90% of them were able to solve the problem that they had been stuck on for three months. And this is really the only substantial research that's been published on psychedelics for creativity and problem solving. And then Jim was the guy who started talking about microdosing in 2011. He wrote a book, was on the Tim Ferriss podcast in 2015. And mm -hmm. he just reached out one day. He had seen some of the early content that I had produced. And for about three years, you know, we were in close touch and friends and, and talking pretty consistently. I would say, Paul, I've interviewed for the podcast. We've had a handful of conversations. Um, I think what he's done with the Stamet stack, this combination of psilocybin, lion's mane, and niacin, which he describes as like massive for neurogenesis. And the fact that he's not a doctor. He's not a PhD. He is also an entrepreneur and he's also just like a scientist. You know, he, he really loves and understands mushrooms. And I feel some similarity with that. I have no higher education. I studied history and business in undergrad, but I've just always been curious and wanting to learn. And so microdosing is the thing that I've focused on most. And then I have this beautiful couple. They're in their early 70s in New York, John and Diane, who 
are not well known or famous, but they're they're so interesting. They lived in Nepal and Afghanistan in the 1960s. Um, They were the Dalai Lama's photographer when he was here in the United States in the 80s. They'd done books with Yoko Ono and Elizabeth Taylor and uh, many others. And they're just fascinating, artistic, and interesting people. And so I just always kind of look for teachers wherever I go, you know, as as, as someone who's a seeker. and, And thankfully, you know, I've had some fantastic ones. That's amazing. I know that you're um, you're in Portugal, but what's the current kind of state of thinking in the United States, both regulatory and also from the GP around microdosing? Maybe also clarify and distinguish between different types of medicines, you know, when it comes to microdosing. So two years ago, I started a 501c3 called the Microdosing Collective, and the focus is on how do we create like a regulated marketplace, for lack of a better term, for microdosing supplements. Because a lot of the research and thus the political emphasis has been on what's called psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, which is taking a very high dose of, could be ketamine, it could be MDMA, it could be psilocybin, with psychotherapeutic support before and after, because it can be quite intense. With microdosing, it's a lot more subtle, Paul Stamets describes it as subintoxicating. Jim Fadiman would call it subperceptual. So and there's a slight difference there. Like a microdose could be you feel it a little bit, you notice it a little bit, but you're not altered to a degree where you're going to lose track of time or reality. You can navigate your everyday reality with some level of precision and awareness and understanding. And the perceived risk of legalizing microdosing is we're really just legalizing these substances for everyone to take. Because in the medical model, the psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy model, you know, the FDA is overseeing this. You know, you have to have clinicians involved. It's tighter gatekeeping, right? which is, I think, a good practice in these early days. Usually the individual isn't handling or controlling the storage of the substance. You go in and get it administered, yeah. And you had Dylan on the show from Mindbloom, and right. you know, there's now this telemedicine where we can send it to your house and you can do it there, but MDMA, for example, will be medically available by the end of 2024. Mm-hmm. But to work with MDMA, you have to get a prescription from a doctor and do it in a specific service center. They're not going to just allow people to send MDMA to everyone's house. Interesting. Microdosing suggests that because when people are taking low doses of psychedelics, there's naturally less risk. So I think the you know, as as sort of a history guy, the biggest mistake of the 60s, so to say, was when Timothy Leary and Ram Dass and these sort of early LSD pioneers, they really emphasized take a bunch, right? Mm -hmm. Like see God, have the mystical experience. And that was very disorienting for a lot of people. We didn't have enough, let's say, cultural literacy around how to navigate altered states like this. Mm -hmm. And so I think the lesson from that is if we want to go from, let's say, medical to broader culture, outside of the strict gatekeeping of certain institutions, which again has benefits and absolutely needs to be done, the emphasis should be on lower doses because if people have the proper education, they don't necessarily need to have a therapist or guide who is physically present with them for the most part. It might be helpful to have someone there the first couple of times you do it. But once you get a sense of your dose level, and I talk a lot about this as it relates to microdosing, it's like calibration. So I look at psychedelic use as a skill, right? It's a skill we can develop. And so the amount of mushrooms you might take for you know, a certain intention might differ from the amount of LSD that you might take for a microdose. LSD is more dopaminergenic, so it's more about focus, attention, and motivation, and psilocybin is more 
serotonergic. So it's more about presence, somatics, contentment. By the way, that's the first time I've heard those two words. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of words in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Can we run by those again so everyone can get that? <laughs> so I was, there's a story behind this. The story is I spoke at a psychedelic conference in Prague many years ago, and I was in line to get food, and I was talking with this guy, Roland Griffiths. And Roland was the pioneer at Johns Hopkins. He did a lot of the early research. He passed away earlier this, like I think about a month or two ago, he had terminal cancer, which he was there very public about and would talk about how mushrooms and psychedelics helped him to work through death, like inevitable death, right? Which is super powerful, right? So we're talking in line, this is in 2016, and I was explaining some of the differences. You know, when people take LSD, they tend to be more cognitive, they tend to be more about task-driven things, right. they tend to be more about productivity or performance. People who are taking psilocybin or more, they're trying to get off SSRIs. They are trying to sort of like do it in a therapeutic lens, like it's helping to heal some aspect. And I asked him, why is this? And he said, oh, that makes sense. LSD, there's more dopamine. So when you take LSD, the dopamine baseline increases higher than if you take psilocybin, hmm. right? Kind of like cold plunging would do, where there's a sustained increase in dopamine for a period of maybe four to six hours. Psilocybin still has that. It's just not as prominent. It's, it's more about serotonin. And so there's more of a, a, a serotonin boost from that. For that reason, then they have slightly different subjective effects. And this is what I find, you know, I'm, again, an amateur at almost everything, but it's what I find so interesting about psychedelics is different psychedelics impact the brain in different ways. Like ketamine is more about glutamate. And glutamate has, you know, a different role than for psilocybin and LSD. So knowing the, a little bit of the neurochemistry, knowing a little bit of the intention then allows, I think, people to choose an experience that's ideal for them. And that's what I've been, that's the problem I would love to solve, is there are a lot of people who are becoming interested in psychedelics. And how do we help them find great providers? How do we help them understand which medicine is right for them? How much of that, the frequency of it? There's a lot of work to do for that sort of like professional education element. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a lot of risk if you don't have that education, if you don't have the individuals who can control the space or you know, hold the space, probably a better term, understanding dosage and personality nuances and whatnot and contraindications. Right. When you think about what's needed now is, is not dissimilar to how psychedelics are administered in native populations, right? So there is the medicine woman or the shaman, right, who's the vegetalista, right, who's holding yeah. the holder yeah. of, the, of the medicine, right? So it's, it's not like everyone just goes in and grabs a handful and is like, oh, I'm going to go do these today. <laughs> But that's what it's like in America. It's like, hey, yeah, I think I'll go do these. See what happens. No, I mean, there's a, there's a reason for it. And there's, there's ritual around it. And, you know, and they're taking a lot of time to protect the space, spiritually, even physically, to curate the experience so it's a positive one and the lessons are learned. How do we get there, right? I mean, that's what you're talking about. But like, because the government certainly, you know, they screw everything up. So I don't see how they're going to help. <laughs> Besides just making sure it doesn't just go off the rails like it did in the 60s. It'll be helpful, you know, like there is a, this balance between obviously governance and grassroots and how we, how we support both. And what's great about psychedelics is all paths lead to the same, I would say, end goal in many ways. It's all like mycelial in the way, like it's all interconnected in terms of how these different movements are happening. How we get there, I think one, we always have to look at how we've done this before. So what you were talking about in terms of indigenous medicine holders, shamans, curanderos, vegetalistas, you know, there's 
many words, but these people who are the, the sort of spiritual doctors right. of indigenous societies, ritual, ceremony, healings, magic, if you will, like, like you said, protecting the space and keeping you know, entities out, which is sort of an ayahuasca thing. Yeah, definitely. All that matters. And how do we integrate that with an industrial, mechanistic, psychotherapeutic, individualized society and culture, which mm -hmm. has become flat, basically? Like we've lost um, a lot of our richness and depth and, and basically culture. We have no relationship or very little relationship to the land. And I think a huge part of it is like, how do we reestablish a relationship with the physical land around us? And how can psychedelics and plant medicines open up a space to remember that? I think it's my experience has always been more of a remembering than a like a new recognition. It's like, oh, there's something very evolutionary about this. Yeah. There's something very intimate about it. Very intimate. And it is, you know, when you look at it from the field of consciousness studies, and it's an aspect of consciousness, and you are just merging with it for a moment or dancing with it for a moment. And so it, there's a sense of there I am. But I don't usually get to access that part of myself because of the way my constructs of how my mind was developed and trained, right? We don't, right. we're not able to access it, especially in the Western mind. So this opens the aperture a little bit. But when you look through that aperture, you, you see yourself. <laughs> it's just a bigger part of yourself. Which is both incredible and also terrifying at the same right. time. You know, it's yeah. like any deep work involves confronting the shadow, confronting the darkness. And that's where our greatest power comes from. That's where our greatest resilience comes from. That's, I think, where our greatest rooting and depth comes from. So how do we get back there? You know, my 100-year hypothesis, and maybe it's quicker than that. Maybe we're living in this sort of technological acceleration period, you know? But I think it's it's a generational thing. It's like yes. the the indigenous people don't think about things seven years from now like VCs do. They really think about things seven generations from now. So I think part of it is a longer horizon for how we perceive existence and reality. And I think part of it then is going, how do we inform the creators and builders and entrepreneurs and innovators of tomorrow, the artists of tomorrow, potentially with this recognition or this understanding that plant medicines bring? Right. And so the, the parallel that I love to draw is in the Enlightenment, which was the last, I would say, great up-leveling across humanity, we had to figure out a whole university system. We had to figure out science, technology, engineering, mathematics, which has helped us to build a world of abundance. I mean, it's difficult, but we live in fantastic times. Many of mm -hmm. us do overall, right? Sure. Like li Life is incredible. And it was 10% of people who had to become literate to create that new society of academies, academies and universities. And so I think instead of a written literacy now, we're, we're more looking at, we could say, a spiritual literacy or an indigenous literacy that we've lost. And how do we sort of reclaim that? Yeah. And how can plant medicines help us to reclaim that, let's say, indigenous nature-related wisdom? Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Divine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. I'm sure you can appreciate how important sleep is. It's incredibly important. Life expectancy decreases if your sleep is poor. It's fundamental to your health span and your lifespan. So why do so many struggle to build a reliable nighttime routine and get that quality of sleep? Well, that's where Momentous Sleep comes in. Momentous is a combination of three curated ingredients, magnesium, L3 and 8, epigenin, and L-theanine. Together, they help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, wake up supercharged. Each ingredient plays a critical role in your sleep. Magnesium L3 and 8 is a naturally occurring micronutrient that passes through the blood-brain barrier 
more easily than other forms of magnesium, delivering calm and quiet straight to your brain. And apigenin is a bioflavonoid that calms the neurons in your forebrain, which handles your complex cognitive tasks, so that you can enter a more restful state. And L-theanine is a natural amino acid found in tea that stimulates alpha brainwaves associated with relaxation. So they've got proven ingredients, but what it doesn't have is no banned substances, no toxic contaminants, no fillers. It's got the Informed Sport and NSF certified for sports certifications. You can rest easy knowing that the ingredients are awesome and what you see on the label is exactly what you get. Momentus comes in easy to use individual packets for maximum convenience. I love it for travel. Just grab it and go. Wherever you go, there's your sleep packet. Momentus products are developed in collaboration with experts like Dr. Huberman and Andy Galpin. They're used by 90% of NFL teams. It's in over 200 pro and college locker rooms. It's not just sports teams, though, who rely on Momentus. Many of my military elite operators also use it to help ratchet up their sleep. Trust is everything. When it comes to supplements, I trust Momentus because of their unparalleled commitment to rigorous third-party testing and certification, ensuring that what's on the label is what's in the product, nothing else. They call it the Momentus standard. No matter what your goal is or what you want to achieve, you've got to get sleep. Momentus is on a relentless drive to help you get there. Check it out at livemomentous.com. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com. Use the code DIVINE, D-I-V-I-N-E, at checkout to start your new year with 20% off of their sleep products and all of their other products, for that matter. That's L-I-V-E-Momentous.com. Use the code DIVINE. Hoo-yah. And now back to the show. No, I fully agree with you. And I was even going to kind of mention earlier that I think it's a multi-generational thing. And I think kind of corresponding, what you're going to see is the current structures, which are starting to fray at the seams, break down. And then so it allows the opportunity for, you know, just like regeneration of a forest after a fire. You're going to see a lot of these things embraced much more vigorously, right? When some of the octogenarians who are leading the structures and some of the structures break down and things are like, okay. That was kind of messy. Let's see if we can do better this time. Well, and Mark, we saw this in COVID, right? COVID hits March 2020. Um, the number of people who worked with psychedelics quadrupled from 2020 to 2023, I believe. No kidding. Quadrupled. Four times the number of people. Now, a lot of it was, I did Mind Bloom, right? I did the telemedicine ketamine that was super helpful in the thick of COVID. A lot of people just heard about microdosing. You know, we at Third Wave, we sell a grow kit. So mm-hmm. it comes with everything except the spores. It would be illegal to weave them together, but you can ascend, we make it easy for people to grow their own mushrooms. That was the, one of the first major frays. We really saw how vulnerable we were in so many capacities. And I think there's going to be a lot more fraying in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And so the question that I'm often sitting with is, what is the role of automation and AI? What is the role of, let's say, you know, a more masculine technology, a focus on like the effective acceleration people are, are super big into, you know, blockchain and crypto? And I think that has to be balanced with ceremony, ritual, um, land. My vision of the future of living for creatives, entrepreneurs, founders is like in communities, in Costa Rica, in California, Mm -hmm. there's something that remote work does that allows us to make that more accessible. And I know a lot, like in Texas, for example, a lot of people are buying up massive properties and starting to build these communities of resilience where they grow their own food and they have their own livestock and they do it with a bunch of friends basically, which I think is a cool model. It's very early. It's not really well-developed yet, but I think there's something there for how we, where we land, you know, where does this, where does this go? Let's talk about specific medicines or substances, right? You, 
addressed three so far, ketamine and psilocybin and uh, LSD. Mm-hmm. So if someone's listening and they're like really still kind of sketched out, like, I don't know about this stuff, what are the benefits and what's the experience for microdosing different substances? So for microdosing in particular, the benefits, I, I draw a parallel to mindfulness meditation, where if you just sit down in the cushion for 20 minutes one day and you expect to be less reactive and more present and more patient after day one, you know, you might be let down. For lack of a better term. <laughs> you might have expectation hangover there. Yeah, it takes about four to six weeks of a consistent meditation practice for the brain to become more malleable, more plastic, more gray matter to develop, right? We become more present, we have more depth. And I think microdosing is similar, where it's not just, I take a little bit of a mushroom or I take a little bit of LSD one time and that's going to shift a lot. It's like, it's a practice of a protocol. So a couple times a week, two or three times a week, Sometimes people go a month, some people go two months, some people go, go three months. And the idea is have some level of intention in going into this experience. So maybe you want to lose weight, maybe you want to practice music, maybe you want to you know, write a book, maybe you want, like there should be some sort of focus of that energy. And what we've noticed is people tend to uh, have a better mood, they tend to have more energy, they tend to have better cognitive function. And they're generally just a little less reactive in life. They're a little bit more intentional or discerning with the choices that they make. Is that across the board from all the substances or are you talking about like psilocybin? LSD and psilocybin are the two most commonly that are microdosed. Ketamine has, people do microdose. There are, um, there's a company called Joyous that guides people through protocols of microdosing ketamine. That's usually done for uh, people who are, have anxiety or depression, right? correct or want to get off SSRIs, right? So it tends to be more for that. Psilocybin is, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people who are on Prozac or Zoloft or other SSRI medications are looking to psilocybin because it is non-addictive. So a lot of these psychiatric medications have significant withdrawals. They can often take weeks for the efficacy to kick in. Mm -hmm. Recent research has shown that they may be no more effective than placebo in many cases. And so I think psychedelics, especially low doses, both psilocybin and LSD, there's a lot of interesting research being done on both depression and ADHD. And I've seen this just in the underground, so to say, like people who are just taking this into their own hands currently. There's a lot of people who are able to work through depression, certain issues with addiction. And what I always emphasize is if you are on a psychiatric medication, do this under the guidance of a trained medical professional. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have to do it only with a trained medical professional. You could have a coach or a practitioner, but you should definitely have a medical professional in your corner to help you with that. And it's easier now compared to ever because like if you said, if I said do this six years ago, it was very difficult to find psychiatrists or other medical professionals, but a lot has changed in just five or six years. So more and more people are informed and know about this. And then LSD is interesting. You know, LSD has a pretty rich history in Silicon Valley. Steve Jobs is well known as saying it was one of the three best things that he did. There's a lot of ultra marathoners who use low doses of LSD for performance. Um, There are, you know, it was known in the underground of extreme sports in Colorado in the 60s and 70s that low doses of LSD were sort of the, the thing that a lot of folks were doing and it was very helpful. LSD is more about, it helps with extroversion. Again, going back to the dopamine, Mm -hmm. extroversion, focus, attention, coordination at times. And there's definitely more energy with it. It lasts about twice as long as psilocybin. 
I mean, it became well known because of the sort of Silicon Valley trope. But there's a reason that has occurred, and that's because a lot of people who are in the creative and tech industries are looking to low doses of LSD almost as an alternative to maybe modafinil or Adderall or other nootropics or smart drugs, which may be more intense and less creative. There's something that even at low doses, especially with LSD, it just allows this kind of slight zoom out, this capacity to get perspective, to see maybe kind of how new things shape and form. And so usually when I take lower doses, microdoses, I love to go hiking or go for walks because being in front of a computer can be a little bit constraining, Right. but being more out in nature or outside is... Then I, I use those times as ways to brainstorm and think strategy and think writing ideas. And sometimes I'll take a journal, things like that. No, oh, that's interesting. I call it hyperdosing. <laughs> a new term. I love it. Yeah. That's the term. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. hyperdosing. So I had an experience with some veterans. You know, veterans obviously are, uh, you know, there's a lot of VSOs that are offering psychedelics to help vets with their depression, anxiety, and, and also alcohol addiction. And they found ibogaine to be very helpful with addiction. It's the only thing I think, and you can correct me on this, that they've found that can actually cure you from a heroin addiction, which is incredible. Well, the recent research, so there was a guy that just published research out of Stanford about ibogaine for TBI. Is that right? And he was just on Tim Ferriss' podcast. His name is Dolan Williams. So the thing to note about Ibogaine, Mark, is that it can create cardiac issues. So about right. one in every 350 people have cardiac arrest, which is why it's really important that you have a cardiologist, you go through screening. I was going to mention that, right? They did it. They had a full-on doctor. You were, you know, they were all hooked up to an EKG. And so, yeah, and nobody had any problems at all. And, and um, it, was, you know, it, was, it was a rough experience for them. It's intense. Well, and, and in this research, just to finish that up, they gave them magnesium. So magnesium protects the heart, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. Then they go in with the ibogaine. And I think every single person who went through the clinic, like the research, it was 24, 25, all of them saw outstanding improvements in TBI, like substantial and significant, right? Amazing. But ibogaine is intense. And there are some clinicians, I know one who works with Navy SEALs in San Diego, you, you might know him, Martin Polanco. Martin, and yeah, that's, that's who I was with. I was with Martin Martin's fantastic. He's awesome. We had him on our podcast. He's become a good friend in San Diego, and he does Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT, the toad. Um, the reason for that is because Ibogaine, because it's so intense, people would sometimes stay in the darkness. Mm -hmm. And he found that the 5-MeO could really help them to sort of come again into being inspired and sort of transcendent. That's interesting. I guess the question that kind of comes out of that is, is there any microdosing of ibogaine or ayahuasca? I think I've heard of people microdosing aya. I'm curious like what your thoughts are and whether there's any real benefits to that. So iboga is the root bark, ibogaine is the alkaloid. And okay. so iboga it can be microdosed. There's stories of the, some of the indigenous tribes in Gabon and Cameroon would use low doses of iboga to help with hunting mm -hmm. because it really helps with visual acuity as well as energy, stamina, and focus. So there is some indigenous rooting there. A lot of folks who, let's say, if they have uh, an alcohol addiction or opiate addiction and they go do a high-dose iboga or ibogaine treatment, oftentimes the practitioners will um, recommend doing a protocol of microdoses for maybe a month or two months or three months after. Interesting. Um, just to keep that kind of relationship going, the window open, because, you know, there's still a fair amount of people who, you know, they kind of lose it. It's not, it's not uh, 100%. So it just helps keep that window open for longer. 
ayahuasca, like I have a dear friend who has facilitated several hundred ayahuasca experiences with the Santo Daime, which is the church in Oregon that has legalized, that has legal ayahuasca according to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And, you know, he would give his like two, three-year-old kid tiny little bits of ayahuasca, tiny little bits, <laughs> just little sips. And they would do this in, they would do this in indigenous communities as well, where I, it's right. just a, maybe it's a tiny bit. And they would use even, this is crazy, they would use full doses of ayahuasca for nighttime vision to go hunting in the Amazon. Amazing. So there's some yeah. really interesting, because then they can see through energy. There's a great book called The Upper Wizard of the Amazon that was written about these people. Andrew Weil wrote the foreword to it many years ago. It's a <laughs> fantastic book. So some use of low dosing, but especially with ayahuasca, you want to do it under the care and guidance of a curandero or a vegetalista or a shaman, you know, like you want to have that. Yeah. Iboga, you should really continue to, like, especially if there's cardiac or heart issues, even at low doses, if it's done often enough, I think there could be some stress to the heart. So it's just good to have, like, a doctor for this. Iboga is more intense than both LSD and psilocybin. My friend Ben Greenfield did a podcast, maybe it was last year, where he was like, I'm done with this, right? Don't do psychedelics anymore, right? There's too dangerous. <laughs> you want to know it's funny, Mark? I've been friends with Ben for a few years. I went and visited him in uh, Spokane, and we did a virtual summit in May 2022. And so Ben came to this virtual summit, and he talked about microdose, and he talked about psychedelics. Two weeks later, I get a text message from a friend. Did you see Ben Greenfield's blog post? I'm like, no, he sent it over. And he said something like, well, you probably got the last talk that Ben will ever give publicly about psychedelics. And I thought, all right. And, you know, Ben is, when I was there, I went to church with him. He's very committed to his faith. He's very right. committed to his interpretation of the Bible. I think my understanding is these very, like, especially ayahuasca, these indigenous medicines are a bit outside of his wheelhouse. He has no interest, but he's still interested in the performance aspects of low doses of, of psychedelics. I think it's just opening sort of these energetic portals that are not Christian, I suppose. And of course, this, look, this has been the tension between psychedelics and Christianity for 1,700 years. You know, for hundreds of years, the ancient Greeks had the Eleusinian mysteries. Plato, Aristotle, Marcus Aurelius all worked with uh, a, an ergot beverage, which was like their ancient LSD. Mm -hmm. And the church came around when it became the official religion of the Roman Empire and said, can't do that. Sorry. You know? Mm -hmm. and so for 1,700 years, we haven't really had a relationship with this. So I think it's natural, like when you get into these spiritual realms, there's a reason a lot of people adhere to religion and have religion because it keeps them safe and protected. It's boundaries, yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a short break here from the Mark Divine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. You know, I find it hard to believe it myself sometimes, but I am 60 and I don't feel it, nor do I look it. I routinely put in physical workouts and I have a schedule that would break a lot of guys half my age. And I intend to be this strong and fit for decades more. You want a lifestyle that divides your age, it starts in the mind, but it also starts with supplementation and that's where Qualia comes in with Qualia Synolytic. Qualia Synolytic does something that science didn't know was possible until about 2015. Here's what it is. As you get older, your bodies accumulate senescent cells. They're basically dead cells. They're called zombie cells because they're old, they no longer do their job, they linger in us, they waste energy and nutrition. You need to flush this stuff out. But as we get older, we accumulate these things. This leads to many aging challenges. Slower recovery, more inflammation, lower energy, joint discomfort. Basically, you feel old. 2015, scientists at Scripps and Mayo Clinic discovered 
a natural plant-derived ingredient that helps your body eliminate these senescent cells. That's where Qualia comes in with Qualia Senolytic. It combines nine of those game-changing ingredients into one supplement. The difference Qualia Senolytic has made for my own aging process has been amazing. I'm living a lifestyle someone half my age. I keep my senescent cells to a minimum so my energy and vitality can stay through the roof. I use it to complement a rigorous training schedule, clean eating, and lots of sleep. So if you want to feel your prime way longer than you thought possible, and it is possible, you got to check out Qualia Senolytic and get it up to 50% off it right now. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash divine15. Use the code divine15 at checkout. We'll score you an additional 15% off. Neurohacker backs this product with a 100-day money-back guarantee. Again, get Qualia Synolytic at neurohacker.com, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash D-I-V-I-N-E-1-5. Use the code DIVINE15 for an extra 15% off of the 50% off. Go check it out to help feel in your prime for years to come. And now back to the show. You know, it's, it's not just psychedelics. I, I have um, a bunch of my SEAL fit coaches were, you know, former Navy SEALs and they wouldn't step foot into my yoga studio, you know, at my SEAL fit training center, you know, and I was teaching oh, interesting. Uh, SEAL trainees, you know, of course, hardcore functional fitness and all the endurance and strength training, but I was also teaching them breath work and meditation and visualization and, you know, traditional asana and yoga. And my coaches wouldn't step foot in it for religious reasons. Really? Not all of them, but a few of them, you know. I couldn't believe wow. it. I thought that, you know, they would be a little bit more open-minded than that, you know. Well, and that I think that's the transition that we're going through is, yeah, it's just allowing the complexity and, and richness of life. And look, some people just, they have a certain way they want to do things and, you know, that's how it's going to be. Right. It's no judgment, right? This is a no judgment zone. I think that right. Ben is not wrong either, you know, because I, I have limited experience with psychedelics and I've been open you know, in the last couple of years, at least about that. And I, primarily because of the veteran issue. And I, you know, if I, I started a nonprofit and if I'm going to be a leader in helping veterans heal, then I want to know like the, but about psychedelics. And so I, I've done a few ayahuasca ceremonies. I did the thing, mm. uh, like I mentioned down in Mexico with uh, Martin, the Ibogaine 5-LAMO DMT. I have microdosed mushrooms. I found those beneficial. But anyways, back to um, my point, you know, in that a couple of the ayahuasca experiences were just not much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because they were just way too big, too many people. And, you know, you've got people who are just obviously a lot of trauma and hadn't done, like, this is their first thing they've ever done, right? To like deal with any trauma. Yeah. And they're like just wailing for the whole night long, you know? <laughs> And I'm sitting there trying to have this pleasant experience, you know, and I'm like, man, this is a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> I had that too. I went to I went to Rhythmia, which is a massive center in Costa Rica. I've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 50. One. When I was there, it was early. It was 40 people drinking ayahuasca. And I had a similar experience, but they're like in a kind of like a yoga chalet with glass, but they had hammocks outside. So I just would drink my ayahuasca and I'd just walk outside and lay under the stars the whole night. I think this comes back to like curation and community, you know, right. it's like, how do you really drink medicine and, and be in the space of people that you really want to be that you know well? Um, in fact, we do. Right. So we have a training program for coaches, practitioners, you know, exe mostly executive coaches, health and wellness coaches, um, some clinicians, some doctors. 
And we bring them down to Costa Rica for about six days. It's a 10-month training, most of it virtual, but we bring them down to Costa Rica. And 45 of us, we work with mushrooms. There's about 35 coaches, and then I bring in 11 facilitators, and we do like a high-dose ceremony. And other things as well. We do a sweat lodge, temescal, hyperdosing, workshops. Nice. But a huge part of the high-dose experience is everyone applies. We vet. We talk with everyone. We know everyone, right? We're really looking at how do we create the right connection and bonding mm -hmm. so these people as practitioners can go out and then professionally collaborate and help sort of usher in this psychedelic renaissance or this you know third wave of psychedelics because a lot of the interest is growing quickly and i think it's really critical to train what i would call like advisors people who are they're not necessarily professionals but they know a thing or two they can help point friends and family in the right direction then practitioners who would do more like prep and integration, you know, coaches, like a lot of the executive coaches who go through the program are like, I'm having clients who are starting to talk to me about this. They maybe heard Aaron Rodgers drank ayahuasca, or they read about Elon Musk and Sergey Brin working with psychedelics, and they're interested, how do I help them? Mm -hmm. And then there's also folks who are guides. And I think that's a huge part as well. It's like, how are, kind of back to our conversation before, how are we reweaving in shamanistic, indigenous sort of ritual, ceremony? How can we train people on how to hold depth and presence? Because the experience with ayahuasca, as you well know, is much different than taking, you know, a psychiatric medication on a therapist's couch. It's, it's a mm -hmm. way different landscape. It's a way different context. It's a way different skill set. And I think if, if we really want to take care of one another and have this impact that we think it can, we really need to ensure that enough people are trained in how to navigate that space safely and effectively, yeah. sometimes clinically. Not always, you know, but it, it, even in our ceremonies, it's non-clinical, meaning the intention that people are coming in for is not to heal depression or addiction. It's, it's about professional training. We still have a medical doctor. We still have an EMT. We still have, you know, like folks who know their way around because you never know what might come up when you're deep in, in uh, some of this medicine work. Have you ever had an issue? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My seal fit events, right, are extreme training. So we have, yeah. you know, we have med checks every two hours and, you know, we have EMTs on staff 24 hours and we still have a lot of issues because it's just ex most extreme training in the world. Right. And so I imagine you do more psychological issues. Yeah, we've had a couple physical issues. Like we're learning about this as we go. There was one woman who had, she was in her 70s. She had a couple comorbidities. We didn't know about this because she didn't tell us. But 40 years ago, she had a head trauma. And we gave her a very low dose of psilocybin, but she had, uh, she needed medical attention. And after the fact, one of the facilitators was like, oh, look, I found this research. Now we know, you know, going forward, not to give this amount of psilocybin to someone who is elderly mm -hmm. had, you know, it's like, but because it's been so hard to do research, there's still a lot of uncertainty or still a lot of like kind of unknowns. And so that's why it's so helpful to have just very talented people who really know what they're doing because very talented people can navigate situations with calm and grace and ease if they know what they're doing, you know? And so if you're doing something that's intense, like SEAL training or psychedelics, you want to know you got the right people in the room who've got your back, basically. Yeah, and I think that's the valid critique or, um, you know, cautionary tale is if you're going to do, you know, like a high dose or an experience type thing, do it with someone who's really, really qualified and knows how to, you know, do the during and post work and hold the space and also has the medical, uh, you know, attentiveness. Because 
there's so many people out there who, you know, hey, they had a couple experiences and they're like, oh, I'm going to start administering, you know, right. I'm going to become a coach, right? I, I've, I've met like four or five people who are like, yeah, I'm going to go coach and charge $5,000 a day to put individuals or small groups through as an experience. And I'm like, what? You're 22. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> where, do you, where do you think you've got the experience? It's the rise of the Instagram shaman. That's what we call them. We call them Instagram shamans. That's right. Exactly. And then it's happening in, in all domains, coaching, you know, even my domain, like I, everything's been scraped and there's people who are teaching what I'm teaching. They don't have the experience. It's a risk. I was just talking about this with Dave Asprey. I, we had Dave on the, the podcast and he was like, great guy. I love him. A lot of people, you know, he had Bulletproof and now a lot of people are coming out with these other coffee, butter, whatever things and are calling it. And he's just like, it's not the same. It's not the same quality. It's not. In a way, I think of business entrepreneurship as art. And, and so I always think, how are we creating with precision, with beauty, with artistic, kind of a good sense, integrity, right? Like we really should be aiming to do things at the highest, most excellent level. Absolutely. Because it raises everyone to that, right? It really is important. And in early spaces like this, just like in crypto, just like in blockchain, just like in AI and mm -hmm. some of these, like there's a lot of bullshit. Mm -hmm. You got to read through that. I think discernment is so key and education helps with discernment, but also like you know, what we've even done at Third Wave is we have a directory of providers. So you can go on Third Wave and we have coaches, therapists, doctors, retreats, and clinics that we've vetted, that we know about, that, you know, we've done some level of interview or processing with, because that is the biggest challenge. It's like enough people have a bad experience and, you know, the, the sort of cultural appetite for some of these intense experiences might, might shift a little bit. Yeah, well said. I think that's a great resource. So your website, what's the website? Is it thirdwave.com? Yeah, so it's thethirdwave.co. It's a bit unique. Thethirdwave.co. I, I bootstrapped for too long and <laughs> I, yeah, I hit a half million views in, in, uh, in a month once, you know, I was up at that range a few years ago and they're like, yeah, you can pay X. And I'm like, I'm not there yet, but we'll, we'll see. So <laughs> the thirdwave.co and then the training program is the Psychedelic Coaching Institute. And you can find out about that through the thirdwave.co as well. I'm on Instagram at Paul Austin 3W, Instagram and Twitter. And I talk a lot about microdosing and psychedelics. And so if folks have questions or want to reach out, like, I check DMs and, you know, connect with me and let me know if I can help in any way. Yeah, I think that, that you can be a tremendous resource for folks who are just like, you know, trying to navigate the confusion and all the misinformation. And if you want to have an, a microdose, uh, get on that experience or that path. And it's important to know who to go to and how to get started and, you know, protect yourself. I was going to ask you, what's the third wave? And you mentioned the third wave of psychedelics. Like I would have thought the 60s was the first wave and now we're into the second wave. What did I miss? The Greeks? <laughs> I call it the indigenous and ancient use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indigenous and ancient use. I often rooted in the Greeks because that, you know, Plato, who, who said this? Some late 19th century philosopher was like, Elf, oh, Whitehead. Everything is a footnote to Plato in Western philosophy. I think it's really important that we go back, the second wave being the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right, and sort right. of the ethos of third wave then is what's the middle way between the two? Um, I love Taoism, right? And so it's like, how do we take ritual, ceremony, and weave it in with science, precision, best practices, safety, ethics, right? Like that is, I think, the integrative place. East and West coming together. Yeah, I'm with you. That's, that's what I've tried to do with our training too. Exactly. Awesome, man. It's been really, really awesome to have you on the show. So we got your websites, we got your handles. Anything else you want to put out there before we check out? Well, I think just remembering that, like now you talk a lot about resilience or you have, and I think, you know, psychedelics are phenomenal tools to help us become more resilient 
humans to help us to learn and grow and adapt, you know, and I think it, they need intention and guidance and, you know, a certain level of responsibility. But when done with purpose and when done with clear intention, I think they're phenomenal tools that can help a lot of people. So I appreciate you having me on the show. This is a ton of fun. I can't wait to turn it around on you and have you on our show. That'll be that'll be a good time. Yeah, I'd love to do that. We'll have fun doing that. Yeah, we will. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think when done safely, they can open the aperture and soften the boundaries of a very constricted Western kind of lifestyle. And so, yeah, we're a bit constipated. <laughs> awesome. All right, buddy. You rock. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Mark. This is fun. Man, that was a really fun episode. Enjoyed speaking to Paul. What an interesting guy pioneering a lot of safe practices around microdosing, mostly psilocybin, but also we talked about LSD. It's very interesting. Thanks so much, Paul, for your time and attention. Show notes are on the website, markdevine.com. The video is on the YouTube channel. You can just search for that on YouTube by searching Mark Devine. You can find me on Twitter X at Mark Devine and on Instagram or Facebook at Real Mark Devine. Or you can reach out to me on my LinkedIn profile. If you got any ideas for guests or any questions, just drop me a note. A quick plug for my newsletter, Divine Inspiration. It's pretty new. comes out every Tuesday. I've got show notes from the podcast. I've got a blog I write weekly. I've got a book I'm reading. I've got a practice. Some really cool stuff that comes across my desk. All of it positive, all of it interesting. So go to the website, markdivine.com, to subscribe and share it with your friends. And thanks so much for my incredible team. My stepdaughter, Catherine Divine, and Jeff Haskell and Jason Sanderson produce this podcast. And newsletter every week and help find incredible guests like Paul so that we can talk to him. You've heard me say this if you've listened before, but ratings and reviews really, really help. It's how other people find us. It's how they judge us. Uh, so if you haven't rated this show, please consider doing so when you have a moment wherever you listen. And thank you for that. And thanks so much for doing the work of uh, being the change you want to see in the world. We can do that at scale through conversations like this, through sharing, through technology. And so like we talked about with Paul, this is a multi-generational thing, but we can create the more beautiful worlds our hearts knows is possible, but it all starts with you. So hoo-yah to that. Until next time, this is Mark Devine out here. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.